Because I saw it as a new way of doing something that hasn't been changed in 20 years. I love innovation. Um, and I remember the first phone call I got with you guys and I'm like, there's something there. I mean, there's definitely something here and definitely for this industry. Um, and it's been, this industry has been needing it for a very long time. Welcome to Seeking the Truth, where we explore how successful companies and business leaders use data to make confident decisions. Hosted by Kirill Klokov, CEO and founder of Truve, a one-stop solution for income and employment verification. Jason, thanks for joining Seeking the Truth and uh, excited to have you. Excited to be here, Kirill. All right. Uh, I'm going to summarize your career and I'm going to mess up a thing or two and you're going to correct me. How does that sure. sound? Absolutely. It sounds great. All right. You've been in this industry since 1995. You've built companies in this industry some that were acquired. You were president and CEO and employee screen IQ for almost 16 years before it was acquired by Sterling. You spent two years with Sterling. And since then, you've been kind of a thought leader and advisor in the industry. Yeah, I, uh, I started very, very early on uh, in my career as a private investigator out of college. And uh, the company I was with, which was actually the family business, um, was... Uh, Toying with uh, background screening, and it was something that my that I really had a passion for. And uh, my my father didn't. He he liked the following cheating husbands and cheating wives and doing internet database work and stuff like that. And I just it really wasn't for me. So uh, I saw a need, and I started reading some articles about how background screening is done. And this is probably like 1998, and saw that there was a real need for uh, professional but also compliant uh, background screening firm. And I launched the business in 1999. I brought on uh, two partners very, very shortly after uh, I founded the company, probably within six months. Uh, and that's Nick Fishman and, and his father, Les. And we took on some investment in order to see what we can do with this crazy idea. And we really got in at a time that the concept of background screening for employees was fairly new. There was an early survey by Sherm and I think around that time, about 20% of companies were doing background checks for their employees. And uh, so we saw a need. And, and we saw that the workplace violence and, and negligent hiring lawsuits were on the rise. So we knew that we were in for, some, in for a pretty good ride here. So shortly after we founded the business, 9-11 uh, happened. And 9-11, whereas background checks wouldn't have stopped planes from flying into buildings... Uh, everybody came very security conscious at that point and decided, and, and most companies at that point decided that uh, background screening was something they absolutely had to do in order to run an effective security organization. So uh, the industry really took off at that point. And I got together with uh, probably four or five or six competitors uh, that I'd gotten to know through emailing and chatting. And we all realized very quickly that if we didn't figure out a way to start regulating ourselves, the government was going to step in and start doing it. Uh, the FCRA wasn't new, but uh, it was a, you know late '90s that background screening companies you know really understood that it governed what they did as well. So we knew that we needed to put some standards in place. So we formed our national association, NAPBS, which is now called PBSA, which is now a very large functional organization. Uh, it's been around for now, you know, over 20 years. So I was chairman early on. I was uh, sat on several of the boards and, uh, and committees and helped uh, pioneer what is today uh, PBSA. I inadvertently uh, and didn't really uh, 
didn't really plan it this way, but I kind of created a brand for myself along the way because uh, early on as chairman of the association and uh, we, we, my company were, were big thought leaders in the space as well. So my name became really well known within the space and it really helped the business grow. Uh, we continued growing the business for about 17 years and then were acquired by Sterling uh, towards the end of that. And I started doing consulting right after that because I'd been doing a lot of expert witness work and I'm friends with so many people in the industry. I know all the owners and all the executives and just many, many great, great friendships I have and started asking me to do things for them. So I would do things like consulting and I started doing some recruiting uh, and then doing some MA work. So I kind of run the gamut of, of consulting services uh, even up to today. But one hole that we really did see, you know, recently in the last well, seven, last couple of years is the need for innovation in the space. And got together with uh, Dave Dickerson from Accurate Background, and we started looking at great technologies that were kind of emerging outside the industry, like True or Citadel, um, and decided that our our uh, money and time were very well spent by investing in other ideas. And uh, that kind of brings us here where we're at today. Awesome. That's that's a very successful career, and uh, I when I whenever I talk to folks who have like so much experience in particular industry, tell me what's your career high if you think about the last past twenty five years. I mean, so I actually just said I just answered this question for somebody, and my career high is actually right now, and I'll tell you why. It's because I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing, and I'm not doing anything that I don't want to be doing. So. When I get new projects that come in, or uh, a call from a prospect that may, you know might want my services, like if I don't find it fun or or engaging or even challenging, I just don't do it, or I give it to somebody else to do. Um, so I would say I'm more fulfilled now than I've ever been in my entire career, and I feel very fortunate every single day that I can I can actually say that and, and do the things that I do. But aside from that, as we were growing Employee Screen IQ. There were, there were several moments where I really felt successful. Uh, it was always came down to like winning, winning a big account, somebody choosing you. You know, you always had that like low self-esteem as far as who you were in the whole background screen universe. And then you nail a huge account. And, you know, that, that was really fulfilling for me as well. And then I think the third thing would be the unbelievable leaders and talent that we had at Employee Screen IQ that have just grown their careers. Some of them are running companies. Uh, a lot of them are executives. Uh, there's still people at Sterling that are thriving a lot uh, over there. So just the ability to mentor and 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 see the results of, of some of the people that we had in our organization, how they're just doing so well right now, is just gives you a ton of pride. Fantastic. And if you were to go back and like look at like the lessons you were, you had when you were building a CRA, like what's the if you like one or two points that you would like share with the CRA? As far as what? As far as like starting as a as a business or like running a CRA business, well, I think the first question you need to ask yourself is: Do you want where do you want to fit in the universe of background screening? Do you want to be a technology company and and really sell yourselves on being the leading edge technology in background screening? That's one direction, and in that direction, you're going to probably have to build your own system from scratch and make a ton of mistakes, spend and waste a lot of money along the way till you finally get what you need. Or you decide that you just want to be a great background screening company that has good technology. Um, and in that regard, you can sign up with one of the platforms that are out there like Osseo or Tazworks or some of the others and allow uh, that part of it to kind of run smoothly and, and run your business and allow you to do the things that you're really good at, like sales and marketing and, and, uh, and, and customer service and things like that. 
So as a Siri, why would you start building your own technology? If you have like platforms that you can go use early on and then eventually graduate to use your own technology, is there, what are the benefits? The benefits to owning your own would be just, you control your own destiny and you're not beholden to one company that could take down your entire business. And that was always a fear of ours. Like we had an off the shelf system and if they had financial troubles, like we could be out of business as a result of them, which is not a comfortable place to be. Um, so that's one reason. Another reason would be that you are approaching this industry as an industry that you know how to automate and you do do it differently. Because every background screening system that exists, whether you whether it was built from scratch or it's a platform today, they were built 20 years ago. So you know that the, the technology behind them and the workflows that are built into them and everything else are based on pretty old stuff. So there will be people that are able to approach this with a whole different, uh, you know, looking through a whole different prism and how to accomplish the same thing a lot easier. So it just depends on what your your background is and what you feel that you can do to change the industry. So when you when you think about automation, Jason, like where would you start if you were a CRA today? Okay, so I would start with uh, the criminal check automation and and taking everything inside uh, your organization that has to do with the results of criminal records coming back into your system. And finding ways to use AI and machine learning to substantiate, reconcile those records. It's a very, very manual process. You have to know terms and keywords and abbreviations for 3,000 different courts uh, across the country, uh, or 10,000 different courts in 3,000 different counties across the country, and that's just at the county level. So it's much easier, much more effective, and much uh, a much better way without having any errors to have computers learn to do that. The second thing would absolutely be verifications, whether it's education or employment. In my company, that was always the first place that we put people uh, to learn the process and learn and learn how to do things. But in essence, we had a call center. And staffing a call center uh, with intelligent people can be a difficult thing to run those processes. So I would find ways that I can literally automate you know, 80 to 90% of the verifications that are being done with with machine learning. So the system might you know, learn how Bank of America does their verifications and they can replicate that the next time so a human doesn't need to intervene. Those are the two biggest areas uh, for automation that I think uh, it's very important for background screening companies to tackle. So usually in the industries which have a lot of high degree auto- of automation, the prices get go down. What happens to your margins if you don't automate? I mean, they get, they, your margins are absolutely going to shrink. And it started with the, the larger uh, the larger background screening firms years ago that were just outsourcing and they they opened their call centers in India, and the Philippines, and their margins were a lot better than the rest of us because we were doing everything onshore. Well, now you've got these automations built in too, um, and it, it absolutely by having those automations will grow your margins significantly. Okay, so you were talking about automations. Well, when you go back and think about your career as like as a running somebody running a CRA like what was the biggest surprise when you started and kind of and and you were building a CRA biggest surprise i had actually was it was on the job learning for me i had never owned a business i never had employees and i only knew what background screening was in concept without knowing how the operation was developed and I remember about two years after we started and we started, I started getting together with my competitors to start any PBS or PBSA, sitting in a room with those other owners and finding out that they developed the same exact processes that I had and they had the same issues that I had and everything was like the same without us ever having to, without us ever talking to each other and just 
through the experience, we all built the same kind of operations. That was really, really interesting to me and really surprising to me. How did that happen? Why, why is that? Is it just uh, because of it's compliance driven or is it because of client, clients wanted in a particular way? I think it's compliance driven somewhat. You know, it used to be that when you wanted to verify that somebody worked at Microsoft, you called Microsoft and you got connected to HR and HR said, if you want to verify employment, you have to fax over a signed release and we'll fax it back to you, you know, within three to five days. And then you'd create these uh, email or you'd create these fax, uh, fax verification forms and you'd fax it over with the release. And all of our fax verification forms look the same pretty much, you know, and, and without ever having to see two of them next to each other, like, because all the information you were gathering was the same. So they're getting all these requests from all these different employers across the country. And that's really how it was done in the beginning. Like there was, it was all phone calls and faxing and that, that counted for education as well. So fast forward 16 years, you decided to sell to Sterling. Yes. How do you as a CRA make a decision to sell or not to sell? It, it was the toughest decision I think that we've ever made. Um, we never built this company to sell it. Uh, we never intended on selling it. We were approached a couple of times, but really uh, blew it off because we were doing great. Like we had you know, over 100 employees, and we were growing, and we were we had major, major national brands as our clients: Continental Airlines, United Airlines, Live Nation, House of Blues. We did a lot of work for Amazon. I mean, all the Wegmans. It was a it was a who's who of Fortune 500 companies. We had these clients. It was awesome. Um, and we kept growing and growing and growing, but you know we got approached by Sterling, and, and it really came down to they just made us an offer we couldn't refuse. Um, in every business, at a certain point, you realize that you know you can only get so far without bringing in outside capital and investors and really growing the company. That eventually there's an exit for everyone. It was a tough decision. It wasn't something that we all 100% wanted to do. But as we started thinking through basic economics and and, and growth and where you needed to be and how to get there, it just made all the sense in the world. I also see that you post a lot about uh, acquisitions free in the market and you say it's the best time to sell. Why is it the best time to sell? Private equity is all over the industry right now. And the multiples that we're seeing um, are significant. And you know they're only going to stay this dumb <laughs> you know, for so long. Um, <laughs> eventually, the, the capital you know, dries up or runs out or industry matures more. There's a lot of things that can happen that could affect companies wanting to buy background screening companies. I think right now is our, probably the highest multiples we'll ever see, um, especially coming into you know with the Ukraine war and all these things kind of happening globally. Like it's, I think the next couple of years are very uncertain for a lot of reasons. And uh, you know, to me, now is the time. What changed? Why are the multiples so high? And why did all the private equity come and decide to buy companies in the industry? I can give you. 15 different complicated reasons, but really what it is, it's supply and demand. I mean, there's less companies selling and more companies that wanted to buy them. So the prices went up at its essence. And you know, there's also a ton of dry powder out there. So these, you know, these private equity firms and VCs and, and bankers, like they have all this money to spend and they want to get in. So not, you know, it's, there's been a lot of activity lately. So if you were to look at like three years out, is there going to be more consolidation? Kind of less upstarts, more companies just getting bought out, and the bigger are going to be getting bigger, and eventually it'll be like, say, uh, what's the standard distribution? Like three, four companies run the majority of the industry, and the rest is fifteen percent of. Yeah, I mean, right now you have the top five or six companies taking about half the market, uh, so it's still very, very, very fragmented. 
a lot of, you know, there's still some mid-sized companies and there's a ton of small players out there. And I think there's always going to be some fragmentation, but I think at the end of the day, I don't know if it's going to happen in two years, if it's going to happen in five years, or it's going to happen in 10 years. There's going to be a few major players in this industry and it's going to be very data-driven. Again, this is a theory. I've been vocal about this, but I do think that within the next, let's call it seven years, that a background check is going to look a lot like your credit report. And it's going to be something that's instant, good and good enough for people to make decisions on. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. Instead of yeah. trying it multiple times and doing the same thing, it should be automated and uh, pretty much instant. Makes sense. Yeah. In fact, my partner, Nick, on uh, our last podcast for IQ Advisors, you know, mentioned that it's imperative that everybody in this industry dusts off the old book that we all read 20 years ago, Who Moved My Cheese? And Who Moved My Cheese was all about like, you know, reinventing the mousetrap, you know, making a better mousetrap. Um, and that's where we're kind of at today. Interesting. So we spoke about, uh, sorry, we spoke about criminal records, right? As I understand, there's providers which are more or less get you to 90 to 95% of automation there. So when we talk about employment history verification, I hear from multiple of our clients that this is a cost leader. It's like, it's unprofitable, but it's kind of a necessary evil. Why is that? Talk to me a little bit about the structure of the industry and like, what do people do to solve this problem? Well, I mean, it's it's not as much of a loss leader as it was before. You know, now we've got ways to, you know, do some automation in place. And now we've got great solutions like you guys that help drive up those margins. Excuse me. But, you know, it's historically been such a manual process. Not only was it manual, it was hard to find people to do it, qualified people to do it, people that would stay with your organization. Like, it just became a mess. So it wasn't a, a product that we just didn't want to sell. We wanted to sell it. Uh, but we wanted to find different ways and better ways to make money at it along the way. And, and now we're kind of there because there's that blend. And there's that blend of companies that you have to still fax to. Um, there's the blend of companies where you have the work number and talks that wants to sip, you know, right up high on that waterfall and catch all the verifications that they can. And there's services like, like, like true. Am I saying it right? Yeah, it's true now. True. Okay. Um, <laughs> And, you know, there, there, there's products like Truve. And if you blend those things together, it makes every, it, it, especially blending it in with the work number, which is incredibly cost prohibitive. And we're seeing more and more employers just stopping to do verifications that they have to do it through the work number because it's ridiculously expensive. There's better ways and other ways to do it. And there comes you guys. By the way, on the work number, I hear a lot of times from folks who sit in the finance org in this area, they say, oh, this is a pass." Pass-through fee. So by basically reducing reliance on the work number, really we're reducing our revenue. So we can less, okay. charge less, so, uh, clients less. What do you think about this? I think it's BS. And here's why I think it's BS. I mean, yes, yes, it's a pass-through. And yes, we're charging our clients for it. And we're just passing it through to our clients. But when you go to dinner and you order a steak and a glass of wine and the bill comes, it's $100. Whether you try to rationalize that the, the, the glass of wine was 25 and the steak was seven, you're still writing a check for $100. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and I just came up with that on the fly. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's the same thing. It's, you know, companies, they still have to pay for it. And it becomes a ridiculous amount of money to spend to, to do a background check. And, and here's an example. If you are a New York State resident living in Manhattan, and you've lived in Manhattan for the last 10 years, right? And you work for, call it XYZ Bank that uses the work number. Before the background check even starts, that background check is going to cost $140. It's going to be $100 for the New York OCA criminal search and $40 to $45 for the work number. 
it's almost $150 before you charge your client. So they're not getting a bill equal to what you should be charging United Airlines to screen a pilot, you know, with all the different manual things they have to go back and forth with pilot screening for a simple position. So again, I, I understand that it's a pass-through fee, but somebody's still writing a check for that amount. They don't care if it's a pass-through fee or not. So if nothing changes, let's say the work number keeps increasing prices, we're still making phone calls. How will the industry be in like two years? Would they would just employers give up employment verifications altogether or do yeah. they only for like we're highly? See, we're seeing that already. We're seeing if it if it uses the work number, skip it. Or they're saying don't do verifications or don't do verifications and let's just do reference checks. Like, so they're, 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 they're trading, you know, they're trading services to, to find ones that are maybe better and more cost effective. Um, instead of, you know, if you have five previous employers, maybe you don't do the three that use the work number, but you do the two that we can, we can do your, you know, system on. There's a lot of opportunity out there right now. And, and that opportunity has not existed for a long time. That makes sense. In, in terms of you, you said like, Oh, let's just do one or two out of the three jobs. What do you think about like how much information gain or I'll explain what I mean by it. It's like how much information gain you get from the most recent employment versus like say the job before it, the job before it. And eventually like when you were an intern at McDonald's, like do you really care if a person ever worked at McDonald's or whether they put it on their resume or not? I'll tell you that it depends on the position and depends on the industry. So if you're a truck driver, well, you need all the past employment. You have to have it by law. Uh, same with you know airlines, but if you're you know in a, a, a VP you know of finance or a VP of marketing and you're being hired by a company, like I don't care what they did three jobs ago. Like I want to know how they did it their last job, maybe the job before that. And I think that employers are starting to quickly realize that when they start looking at the expense versus the uh, result or the benefit versus the risk, they're making those they're having to make those decisions. So when when you think about this information gain, the work number being expensive. Kind of employers just giving up. Let's say if nothing, if if uh, if there was a technology that would solve it for you, what should be the price for that? How should you like if you're an employer and you want to run it for everybody, right? Let's say if uh, unless maybe somebody who's just a, somebody who have no skills whatsoever, their first job, right? Everybody else you want to run it. How much should Sirius charge for it? I mean, it, it should be it should be a cost effective search. It should it should be under. You know, under seven dollars, uh, under five dollars, even in some circumstances, um, it's just a data point. And you know, if you can show the value in getting more information, then maybe you can charge a little bit more than that, um, or bundle it with some other things. But it shouldn't be the most expensive ticket item on your on your uh, background check for sure. Okay, I mean that's uh, that makes sense. So it's like say under ten dollars, something along those lines. That's yeah. where really everybody would run it. So if I guess I would summarize it for the industry. If you just keep doing what you're doing, clients will just eventually give it up and that revenue stream will go away. Yeah. You give them something new that you actually might be able to make more money off of it without all this crazy pass-through fees and clients just being unhappy about it overall. Yep. All right. Yep. Cool. Uh, your advisor, investor, and truth. Like, what? Why did you decide to invest and advise us? Or what was kind of the decision-making process for you? Because I saw it as a new way of doing something that hasn't been changed in 20 years. I love innovation. Um, and I remember the first phone call I got with you guys, and I'm like, there's something here. I mean, there's definitely something here and definitely for this industry. Um, and it's been this industry has been needing it for a very long time. So it was a different way of thinking of doing something that we've been doing for a long time. And I thought that you guys were the guys to do it. 
Awesome. Well, it's been great working with you. And uh, we always wrap up uh, Seeking the Truth with two truths and a lie. And uh, tell me what are your two truths and a lie? Two truths and a lie. Um, I am a diehard music fan. I am a cowboy at heart. And I, uh, I've seen The Grateful Dead 50 times. I believe all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, thanks for uh, coming to Seeking the Truth. It's, it was great having you. Awesome. To find out which one is a lie, join our next episode. Thank you for listening to Seeking the Truth. You can keep up with the latest on our podcast at truth.com slash podcast or wherever you get your pods. We'll see you next time.